0: Hello, please let me see your ticket stubbers for the double-edged double bill. This week, I saw the devil and wanted revenge. Thomas is Thomas Mariani who come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between one and ten or order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am the pipe wrench to the proverbial balls of podcasting, Adam Thomas.
1: And I am Thomas Mariani, and if only I could have the golden ticket of becoming an assassin Harry Potter. That's, that's kind of cool, actually. I, I I mean, when you you describe it, maybe, but there's a few reasons why that's not that cool, honestly. But welcome, everybody, to the Double-Edged Double Bill, where every week Adam and I pick a good and a bad film uh, related to a topic, and uh, we talk about them. Um, So at the end of our last episode, we did our picking for this week's topic of revenge films. And, uh, you know, we kind of talked about this at the end of last episode, but there's a lot of potential to revenge as a topic, because your revenge thrillers, there's... Some certain subcategories of that that are maybe not the wisest to make in a modern age, like the rape revenge kind of thing. But uh, at the same time, it, it's a it's a great motivation. It's one of those big, you know, sort of human motivations that's existed for all time. That revenge is a dish best served cold, as we learned from Klingons.
0: Yeah, and if you want to take any sort of life lessons, the Klingons are the ones that you
1: know. Great dudes. Klingon never did anything bad? <laughs> never.
0: Well, it really did, because, you know, I, I hate to break this to you, Thomas, but they're not real. I mm. know. Sorry.
1: I learned that language for nothing. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: even, even the actor who plays Worf isn't real. He's a completely CGI. Well, maybe, well, back then it was animatronics.
1: Right, Michael Dorn, of course. Yes, a yeah. little practical yeah. effect. Um, look, I'm all power to him for getting that practical effect due to the voice of Weasel mm-hmm. and I am Weasel.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Well, you know it needed more work.
1: Yes, uh, but, but you said at the end of our last episode, Adam, that uh, this genre, the sort of subgenre, is one of your favorites. Why is it uh, so interesting to you?
0: Well, I mean, it's a classic tale. You know, revenge and revenge stories have existed, you know, like forever, from fairy tales to Disney movies to everything. And it's just, like, it, usually it, it ends, you know, on a note that you know it's probably going to go where whoever, the person that is seeking the revenge is probably going to get it. Uh, usually it's a bad guy has to pay his sort of comeuppance who did something horrible to you know the sort of protagonist or whatever but the really smart ones are you know it's the very simple sort of but at what cost sort of idea did this revenge come you know when it becomes all consuming and everything it just makes for exciting cinema
1: yeah I think it's because it's such like a standard motivation like it could be a Shakespeare play it could be an action movie like so many different human impulses are motivated in many cases by revenge seeking that ability of, like, I want to be, you know, unwronged. I was wronged, and then I must do another wrong or make a right. That's what the Bible tells us, everybody. But um, it's it's an interesting, you know, motivation that's very human, very real. It's a very palpable motivation for good reason. Yeah. But uh, we're here to talk about two that kind of urge more into the uh, genre fare of it, because uh, uh, we have, at the end of our last episode, we picked my bad pick of Wanted, and we uh, picked your good pick of I Saw the Devil. Uh, two films that, you know, kind of have a lot of action to them, uh, but apply it in very different, bizarre ways. As we'll uh, get to with our first stuff, uh, we'll start with the bad one Wanted. This is the mind numbing black hole I call a job. And this is me, Wesley Gibson. Like everybody else, I just keep waiting for a lotto ticket out of my boring existence and into a life that means something.
0: I knew your father.
1: My father died the week I was born.
0: Your father died yesterday on the rooftop of the Metropolitan Building. He was one of the greatest assassins who ever lived. Then the other one is behind you. We are a fraternity of assassins,
1: the weapons of fate. The fraternity has trained assassins for thousands of years. You'll be given everything you need. Curve the bullet. To kill your target. I'm the man shoot this motherfucker. wanted so wanted uh, came out June 27 2008 from uh, Russian director Timur Bekmenbatov, um, who I remember around this time was a big deal because he had come over from Russia after doing uh, his big thing was the night watch and day watch movies. Which were like kind of cult favorites that are like these sort of like fantasy horror movies about vampires existing in our reality and uh, are a part of like this big long war that's been going on for centuries. I don't know. Have you seen those, Adam?
0: Yes, I have
1: actually. Uh, I've seen both of them.
0: They're they're interesting, man. I'll tell you, there's a lot to them. Uh, Some of it's kind of silly. They're not great, but I could see why those two movies would get this guy work. Like, the visuals in the movies are really interesting and, and sort of unique. So I, I totally get why it would lead to sort of mainstream films. Like, he did this, and what else did he do? Did he do, like, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters,
1: I think? No, I believe after this, um, he did uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Wolf! <laughs> yeah, which was, yeah, kind of a disaster. But he's also been a big producer as of recent. He's done a lot of, like, the sort of screen life horror thriller movies. Like, the Unfriended movies, but also Searching amongst other things, okay. as he's kind of made a big sort of corner for him uh, with that kind of filmmaking. But um, yeah, I had not seen those two, the night watch and day watchings, until doing prep for the show. And the best way I can describe both of those is, like, they ooze so much of the sensibility of, like, if you had, like, either an older cousin or, like, an older, like, the brother of a friend or whatever, who... Like ripped movies on like a bootleg Region 1 DVD in the mid-2000s. They were like, yo, this Russian movie goes hard. You need to watch this. And then you watch it and it's like, oh, this is pretty fun. And even though you were seeing it like 480p on a bad fucking burned DVD, it oozes that kind of cinema, but in a really charming way. The big thing that uh, watching those and then going back to Wanted... Um, is just that I think those movies have a much better sense of like their sort of wacky bizarreness where they treat the like, characters' motivation seriously but they don't necessarily treat the overall world that seriously, there's a fun style to it but they never seem to like treat this whole universe with that much like isn't this fucking cool, aren't we so cool with ourselves, like no, they're just like they understand what they are as opposed to maybe this movie as we'll get into it does
0: What? You don't think Wanted is deep?
1: It's very much wanted to be that, Adam. Um, <laughs>
0: James McAvoy totally sounds like an American guy.
1: Oh, God. Well, yeah, let's, let's get into Wanted, which um is based on a graphic novel by Mark Millar and uh, with art by J.G. Jones, which I'm aware that, like, the big sort of hullabaloo around this movie when it came out was a lot of people who had read the comic had said it's very different. I know you're more of a comics person, Adam. Is that accurate that it's, like, more, like, super villain-driven as opposed to assassin-driven, right?
0: yeah. Yeah, it's very very different I mean down to even just the the casting decisions made for this are outrageous to me Uh, just I mean even on that simple of a level like Fox in the comics is a young black woman and uh, she's completely designed after Halle Berry 100% and so the fact I mean this is incredible whitewashing that they did uh, for this character I mean which is a big shocker that exists in Hollywood whitewashing Um, (gasps) I know hey sit down um, oh no! And then, uh, but J- even the James McAvoy character uh, was 100% Eminem. The way he looked,
1: yeah, I've seen the art. Yeah, he looks exactly like Eminem.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Which granted, I'm glad Eminem's not in this film, but it's still, just something as simple as that. It's just it, when you change even uh, the look of a character to that extent, like even it changes the whole attitude of the character, like the James McAvoy character. It just yeah, eh, no, nah, the comic's better. I, even that, Pete said, I'm not crazy about the comic, but it's better.
1: Yeah, I mean, I haven't read a Mark Millar comic, but there's a lot of similarities to, like, if you've seen any of the other adaptations of his work, like Kick-Ass or Kingsman, there's connecting threads that make some of his protagonists in particular very familiar. <laughs> As I think we'll we'll go into with this one. But yeah, Wanted, if you're unaware, um, basically is this movie about James McAvoy who plays a uh, Wesley Gibson, a guy who works in like a shitty cubicle office and doesn't have like much going for his life and he feels kind of like, um, you know, separated off from everybody and like he doesn't really love what's going on with his life with like either his work life or his personal life where his girlfriend keeps fucking his best friend played by Chris Pratt in a pre-Parks and Rec role. And uh, yeah, basically, he's just kind of wandering like, man, my dad left when I was very young, and I don't know. I just have been kind of living a shitty existence, and I want to get out of this. And he gets uh, roped into a big conspiracy element with uh, this secret society of assassins, uh, one of which is Fox, is played by Angelina Jolie. Approaches him initially, says, "Hey, your dad was a very famous assassin, and you're being hunted because uh, they this other famous assassin killed." your dad. And look, he's right here in this grocery store where you're picking up your prescription. Oh, we're shooting each other. Pew, 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 pew. A lot of, like, big, uh, over-the-top action sequences with guns. And then he's taken to the big secret society compound, uh, where they are led by uh, Mr. Sloan, played by Morgan Freeman. And there are a bunch of other assassins under there. And uh, basically, he's taught in the ways of how to become a great assassin um, and learn the ways of the loom of fate. <laughs> Um, which we'll get into, um, but yeah, it's a lot of like big, elaborate, over the top action set pieces as he is assigned to murder people and potentially find the man who he believes killed his father. In that revenge element, this is very much a movie that like it came out in the big summer of 2008, which we've talked about many times on the show. Big pivotal summer. This is like within a month of like Iron Man. Uh, had come out previously, and The Dark Knight was about to come out, and this was a pretty successful movie, made $342 million on a $75 million budget. Uh, I remember at that time, I was in high school, and a lot of people I knew in high school were like, oh man, that movie was so fucking dope, and it's, it's really so hot, and it's so great. It's such a great movie. And at the time, I didn't like it that much. I didn't hate it necessarily, but going back to it, um, this feels distinctly of 2008 in many of its worst possible ways. Uh, I think this movie is kind of fucking awful and grating and such an annoying watch to me at this point. It's it's definitely a movie that I didn't like when I was the target audience for it and I definitely don't like it now. Imagine if somebody who was like in 1999 when both the Matrix and Fight Club came out had told you like all his terrible opinions about both those movies and his worst one was like, "Man, they should be like one movie." That's what this movie feels like it was made by and for. It's just, uh, it's pretty fucking terrible on every level to me. But Adam, you said you kind of liked it when it came out, right?
0: I mean, like is a strong word. Uh, I didn't hate it. I, I thought there was some fun bits to it. Like I said, I think Morgan Freeman's pretty fun in it. Some of the action beats are pretty cool. It's just, Angelina Jolie and James McAvoy have zero chemistry. Their complete lack of chemistry combined with ridiculousness of the super thin plot that's happening. Uh, it's just, it makes for, uh, like you said, I, I don't know that it would go like a grading watch, but it's boring. And a movie like this shouldn't be boring. Uh, a movie with this these many big action set pieces and car chases and gunfights and you know, curving bullets, how silly that is, and exploding rats, and all this stuff. Like, there sh- this movie should be fun, and it's anything but. It, it just feels so mean-spirited, I guess, in, in every sort of way. And James McAvoy's lead is such an unlikable person. Um, I don't know if it's the voiceover work. I don't know if it is just the accent. I don't know if it's the way he portrays the character uh just i i don't like anybody in this
1: movie yeah he's just not interesting at all as as a protagonist really because like when i mentioned like the fight club element this is so like somebody who watched fight club and thought oh man this is so dope i really relate to the edward norton character as opposed to like no that guy's supposed to be like an asshole that's that it's that definitely that kind of cult following around that movie that's made so much of like the appreciation for it seem toxic Of just like, oh my god, I'm this like dude who works in an office and uh, nobody likes me and it's gotta be because they're all dumb. Like the way that he treats like that woman who's his supervisor and the way that they portray her, where it's just like, oh, she has like some weird superiority complex and is like constantly berating him and shit like that. It feels like stuff that is, like, being put onto a person as opposed to, like, any kind of conceivable actual reality for this person. It feels so much just like, man, everyone's against me, this straight white male in his late 20s to early 30s who just nobody appreciates what I can contribute to society. It's like, you know what you contribute? You fucking just, like, scream and yell at them all the time about how you're not appreciated. That's all you fucking do, dude. And it's so grating. And it's, like you mentioned, like, James McAvoy... Clearly, you know, not working that well with, like, around the Scottish accent. So glad that later on people just embrace that he's a fucking Scot, as opposed to him trying to, like, work around it doesn't really work for me. And then, like, with Jolie, I would say out of all the people in this movie, I think she's having the best sort of mix of the tone with, like, what this should be, which is kind of, like, a fun assassin movie. Like, I think particularly early on when she looks at James McAvoy, I mean, he's just like, this fucking idiot. Like, when he's just like, excuse me, can you move out of the way, please? Excuse me. And she's like, Pff, what the fuck ever? Get the fuck out of my face, you weirdo. <laughs> like, she's is in the movie that I wish this whole movie was, That's just kind of, like, doesn't feel like it wants to treat itself so seriously, because McAvoy treats himself so s- super seriously. To a degree that's just like, dude, I don't give a single fuck about you or your issues with your friend Chris Pratt, who you want to like hit with a keyboard and it says, fuck you. Isn't that cool, Adam? Wasn't that cool? Wasn't that funny? Yeah, man. Super funny. Yeah.
0: (laughs) James James McAvoy when he uh I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> oh my God, Jim Smackville from Wanted is in the room. <laughs> he, like, he just can't. It's it's so distracting because it's like Weasley and whiny, but it's also really limiting his performance because he is a really good actor. But you can tell he's focused so hard to try to cover up this accent. And which, by the way, too, oh, I got nobody who cares about me, blah, blah. blah. I worked this dead end job, and yet somehow you can afford that apartment in New York. So fuck you so clearly you're getting paid well
1: and even like your your girlfriend who you paint as like the worst person in the world which the movie does want to treat her as just like oh my god I can't believe it. why don't you feed the cat it's like to be fair feed the cat you have a cat fucking feed, feed it, it dude it. Yeah, feed the cat bro <laughs> you asshole like,
0: yeah you're, just being a, you're a dick at this point I mean, like I said, I do like some of the aspects. I like the camera gun that splits in half. I think that's kind of a cool idea. I do like the curving the bullet thing, even though it's ridiculous. I don't even mind, like, the healing wax bath. It makes no sense, but okay, whatever. That explains how they can keep going and going. Like, okay, I get it. It's some form of explanation. And I like the different trainers, like the butcher and the one guy who just beats the shit out of him. Like, I think there's some fun side characters here. It's just the main group... Of characters, like I said, you just don't give a shit. Like, especially McAvoy. You don't give a shit. And, oh, Thomas Cutchman, that big fucking supposed shocker reveal. Like, okay.
1: Like, my trouble, honestly, with this movie, and even the action sequences, is, like, I could be on board with, like, curving the bullet, which, that was the big thing they promoted. It was, like, it's their version of bullet time. It's like, oh, you can curve yeah, it's kind of cool. I guess in theory, it's just the best action sequence to me is the first big one we have, where um, it involves the one guy who ends up getting shot by, believe the Thomas Kretschmann character, and he like yeah. uh, is like looking around for him, and then like leaps out the window, and all the glass and shit is around him. Yeah, totally cool. Right, and that that kind of feels more like it's like the Day Watch or Night Watch movies, where like they're embracing the fact that this is like not that you know realistic a world and we can do something like that big and extravagant with the action set pieces. My trouble is after that it becomes so much more about like very basic things like they establish oh we're like almost superhuman kind of like assassin characters which I guess is kind of left over from the the graphic novel but they don't want to really commit to making them like basically super villains who are assassinating people so it's just a lot of like the curving the bullet and that gets really repetitive after a while. And even, like, some of the guns, like you mentioned, like, the camera gun. I'm not necessarily against that in theory. But they treat it as, like, such, oh, this is a cool fucking badass thing with, like, the camera where I can see this thing. And it's like, guys, just, this is fucking goofy. Embrace that it's fucking goofy. No, fuck you. It's not goofy. This is super serial and great. <laughs> the tone makes it, like, feel, and even, I hate the way this movie looks. The weird Sapia tone, like, yeah. kind of brown colored everything. It looks like ass.
0: It's taking itself way too seriously, and like you said, that opening bit when he jumps through the glass and he's like he's gonna make it to the other building—this is fucking insane. Like it's totally cool when he presses off and it leaves a dent. Like this is this is so fucking wacky and wild. Like this is gonna be great, and then it just gets super serious with it every other time they do it, and you don't have that level of sort of fun and excitement anymore because they don't want you to have fun with it. They want you to treat it super serious. And if that's this movie's biggest failing. If this movie just leaned into the lunacy, it'd be probably pretty awesome.
1: Right, which is why, like, to have that comparison to, like, the Mark Millar things, like, with Kick-Ass or Kingsman, those are movies that, like, I loved when I was younger. I revisited them. I think they have similar problems in terms of, like, mm-hmm. the protagonists aren't too far off from, like, McAvoy's character in this movie. Very similar, like, whiny young white male protagonists are just like, man, everybody's, like, kind of against to me but isn't it cool that I'm doing this or whatever but at the same time those movies at least have a bit more fun with this premise like we know this is a bit more silly like I think Matthew Vaughn is a much more like yeah. fun filmmaker who's able to like make that stuff at least watchable if not great as opposed to Tamur, because he's like this Russian filmmaker um, is trying to come over and do like no this is my big Hollywood action movie it doesn't even feel like it has like that kind of fun of like the night watch and day watch movies which never felt like they were treating themselves too seriously like the the stakes no. of, like oh my god the world's gonna end or whatever but he had fun with just like vampire dudes are like transforming into tigers and shit like that <laughs> weird stuff's happening like that's fun as opposed to this is like so it's like watching fucking brown paint dry <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, I, and as a very comparison, I'd say out of those three, Kingsman is still probably the most fun one. Yeah. But, yeah, the, those movies, elite. well, except for Kick-Ass 2 and all the other Kingsman things. Uh, but those first two, yeah, they, there is a sense of whimsy to the whole thing, too. Like, yeah, there's ser- very serious moments and things like that, but... It's still allowing you to breathe and have fun with the material. Where this, like I said, it's just, it wants you to be, it feels like it's made in the late 90s, early 2000s, where it's like, look how cool and edgy this is. And oh my God. Where it, it, it's just, it, it's it sucks. It just sucks. You know, it's just it's not fun at all. And I mean, I think again, that's the major problem with it. They just want to sort of just shove in your face how fucking cool it is, and look at the effects work
1: we can do. To the point where they, have, who's the leader of our secret society? Oh, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, you know, everyone who treats with like, nope, he's super serious. Academy Award winner, Morgan Freeman, and we have to have him explain bullshit. Like, I know the luma Fate wasn't in the fucking comic, right? No, and that is like the dumbest thing that they treat 100% seriously Of just like it's a code yeah. and you gotta put like zeros and ones and then that gets us who our fucking person is just like you couldn't just have a machine that plopped out a bullet that had a name on it
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's so much simpler than a fucking name I mean, so much simpler so <laughs> much fucking simpler and you know also you can age me to join but butt Ugh. oh great yeah okay this is for all the guys watching. I mean, like, they
1: just stop. I joked about this at the intro. It's Harry Potter, but with, like, guns. You know, That's yeah. what this whole fucking dumb thing is. It's, just, it's that chosen one, the hero that has to, like, do all this shit. And I kind of wish that we leaned more into, like, the subversive element of, like, you you mentioned it, but the whole um, reveal of, like, oh, wait, the guy who's trying to kill you isn't trying to kill you. He's trying to protect you because he is actually your father. Your father wasn't assassinated, and you're actually going to assassinate him. There's some kind of potential to, like, that idea of, like, oh, everything's been upended. And your whole idea of, like, what this world was could be, like, completely shattered and you have to, like, kind of deal with that. But then it's just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Now I got to be the most badass assassin and kill everybody and go through. And I hate that whole fucking, like, assault with, like, the, the fucking the rats and all that's that bullshit. Terrible. It looks so ugly. And every, like, action beat, it's, like, it's not poorly done, but at the same time, it feels, like, so lackluster with, like, how McAvoy's is like, I learned all these skills and I'm killing everybody. It's like, did you learn anything to curve bullets? Because that's all you're fucking doing. You're just curving bullets. That's all he fucking does. It's one trick is to curve these fucking bullets. And it, it so gets repetitive and
0: dull. And it's just, like, so dumb. Even Oswald in real life did more than this character. (laughs) He he might have curved the bullet, too. You don't know. Maybe that's what happened. Um,
1: Look, this (laughs) movie already has too many conspiracy theory things to it. I don't want to add more. Why not? Why not? I'll add a lot of lists of reasons why I don't want to do that on a podcast. (laughs)
0: What? It's never (laughs) failed before.
1: Uh (laughs) That's true. This uh, this is now part of the Joe Rogan network.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's, like I said, it's trying so hard to be so fucking cool and edgy and look how good everybody looks and, oh man, this action, isn't it great? And none of it looks great. The action doesn't look great. The people don't look great. None of it looks good. The best part of this movie is the fucking theme by Danny Elfman.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: That's kind of slaps, actually. It's
1: it's a pretty fun, like, score. This is, like, around the time where he was stopping giving a shit because it's like this and the milk score came out this year. And it's like, oh man, Danny's kind of back. And like, that that's not gonna happen for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing another good score. <laughs> I think the best part of this movie is when you kind of reference the end of our last episode. And it's like the only sort of memeable thing about this movie is at one point near the end, Morgan Freeman tries to convince all his followers yeah. to keep going with him. And it involves Morgan Freeman literally saying, Well, shoot this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, it's so good, dude.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like I would do it. Like, yeah, you Honestly, like,
1: I love that, and even at like, the very end, even though I hate the contrivance of, like, oh, James McAvoy's going to, like, set ass- the assassin twist on uh-huh. um, Morgan Freeman, I do love his, like, almost Looney Tunes-style delivery to, like, oh, fuck.
0: And <laughs> that leather outfit. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, I agree. It's just, it's just, and then when it goes back and through, in reverse, and it shows where he
1: is. Once again, like, that that imagery happens a lot in this movie, and it feels very much like trying to recapture, like, that Fight Club, like, slow uh-huh. motion CG photography.
0: Terrence Stamp makes fancy bullets.
1: Oh, that's right. <laughs> a very thankless Terrence Stamp role, just like, wait, I can help you. Don't do anything.
0: I knew your father. <laughs> Oh, of course you did, because you've got to have that character.
1: Right, right, yeah, and and even like the that ending you're talking about, where it leads up to James Blackford doing a whole monologue about just like oh my God, everyone turned against me and I'm all this thing. What the fuck have you done lately? Like that just feeds into once again this whole perspective of this dude. It's just like makes this whole story feel even more dumb than it already is. Because instead of having somebody who kind of gets roped into this and you feel sympathetic for him because he maybe has like some kind of like lesser life that he's living, but he's so antagonistic to the audience the whole time. It has it's this like fourteen year old boy bullshit, like middle finger, like you don't understand. Fuck off, I'm cool. (laughs) Fuck you.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm gonna go get some of them 3D Doritos and a Joke Cola. <laughs> Eat my butt.
1: <laughs> that's that's this movie all over for sure. Hey, it, do me a
0: favor, babe. Give me my Billabong hoodie. I'm getting the fuck out of here.
1: <laughs> Sorry, she's too busy fucking Chris Pratt. Yeah,
0: no, that's cure. My bloody Chris Pratt. I'm gonna go get play Goldeneye and smoke weed out of a pop can. Uh, it's just yeah, he's constantly talking shit to the people who are watching the movie. Which, you know, it's not like that hasn't been done before. Uh, That sort of technique, sure, but when it's this whiny fucking guy with a whole movie just whines and cries, whines and cries, whines cries, and then sort of ostracizes the audience at the end because now look how badass I am. Like fuck you, like just fuck you, shut the fuck up.
1: Like, why didn't you get that bullet in the head? I, I wish Morgan Freeman, like, they would have taken his advice. Shoot this motherfucker, do it. Yeah. Fuck this guy. Yeah, fuck him. I don't know, but then we had to have Angelina Jolie do her great sacrifice with the curved bullet that says goodbye on it. Didn't you oh, feel so bad yeah. when that yeah, happened?
0: I, I cared so much.
1: Yeah, and I remember, like, they tried to make a sequel to this for so long.
0: I know, and there's even talks of them still trying to maybe do a television version now, or
1: something, like, an episodic version. I guess, like, I mean, if you want to, like, maybe readapt it to, like, be close to the comic sure but they were like so hamstrung especially i'm like we have to get angelina jolie back even though it's just like i you pretty definitively fucking killed her in this movie i don't know how you could ever really unless she goes in that fucking wax bath which for the record anytime everyone gets out of this bath after they've been rejuvenated it's just like they're covered in like glazed donut glaze oh yeah that,
0: well that's what it is
1: it's crispy cream it's crispy cream yeah. <laughs> right feels like james mcavoy woken up just like oh my god all the stuff's on me oh a donut Ooh, oh it's so good it's still warm
0: <laughs> it was under my butt that's probably why i am not sorry about this <laughs>
1: <laughs> for sure for sure um but yeah you know what uh we have a whole other movie to talk about in a bit um, more glowing respect so let's just do our final thoughts your final thoughts adding them on wanted
0: and, uh, everybody needs a dick everybody needs a whiny asshole uh, It's just, it's such a contrived sort of plot uh, that is totally telegraphed. Like you can just, it's easily read and figured out before it even comes to the supposed twist. Uh, it, I would rather follow Thomas Kretschmann's character than anybody else in this. And Thomas uh, you know, doesn't do anything in this movie, but still at least he's more interesting as a like assassin who was double-crossed. And now he's on the run, trying to protect his family. But he has to stay hidden still for his, his family's well being. Like, even that, which is a story that's been done a thousand times, would still be more interesting than this one.
1: Maybe, but what if Adam, the whole time he was sitting, like, nobody understands me. I have to protect my son. I can't, protect I can't, I can't go around. <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish you'd just, you have to keep going home. <laughs> Uh, and after this horrible CG fucking train crash that happens in the middle of this fucking movie as well. But yeah, um, I, like I said, I remember not liking it at the time, and now it's aged to uh, like a fine milk, as it yeah, were. Yeah. Uh, because it, like, the action looks terrible. The Most of the characters, like, they're not likable, but also not interesting. Even like some of these side people you mentioned, they just kind of introduced them to be like, I'm the butcher, knives can be used in battle. And I think they use a the knife like once, Maybe. At a certain point, like I mean, they're so yeah, superfluous, yeah. and they like they add, they don't really add much of anything. This feels like it's just so many of the cliches of like somebody who liked The Matrix and Fight Club for all the wrong reasons, just put into one murky, bad, very dull action movie that just never really makes its like big over-the-top like nihilism really mean anything to any degree or or even make it entertaining to any degree it's just uh, it's a big waste of fucking talent and time that um you know it was bad at the time it's even worse now so you like it great movie no notes um but let's get to an actual great movie i don't have many notes about with i saw the devil <laughs> So I Saw the Devil um, is a South Korean film uh, that uh, came out um, in South Korea on August 12, 2010, but in the States on March 4th, 2011.
0: Playful romp, I would
1: say. You know, uh, fun for the whole family, bringing the yeah, kids. 100%. Yep, yep. Yes. Um, and uh, it is actually a very violent, gory revenge film that, if you're unaware, um, basically uh, we follow uh, these two characters. Uh, first, uh, there's Kim, uh, as played by. Lee Byung Han, and apologize, you know, as we do anytime we cover a foreign film. I might fuck up the translation of some of these names, but he is an NSI agent um, who is out on a mission while his fiance is uh, out traveling. And very early in the movie, we see her like on the road and she has to pull over, just waiting for the tow truck to come when uh, she encounters a stranger, Jiang, played by uh, Choi Min Sik. Uh, who is like, hey, you know what, I can help you out. It's like, no, that's fine, I'm just going to wait for uh, the tow truck to come. And uh, that guy proceeds to destroy her car and drag her out of it, literally, and bring her back home. Because as it turns out, uh, Zhang um, is a serial killer um, who has been murdering women for several years, and he ends up murdering um, Kim's fiancée, and they find her severed head and parts of her body later on. And uh, that proceeds to get Kim on this big revenge mission to uh, destroy him at any cost. And uh, it's very hyper-violent, and it's from director uh, Kim Ji-Woon, who is a pretty fun South Korean filmmaker, who has made movies I would describe as more fun, like The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. Very enjoyable kind of take on the Western genre. He did make the American movie The Last Stand, the Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle, which I would say of the modern Schwarzenegger movies post, like, his governorship, is one of the more fun ones. Yeah, I can agree with that. But uh, this movie is not very fun. It wallows in a lot of horrible violence and misery and pain and, um, you know, a natural pick for a good revenge pick because it makes you really do that question we talked about of why. What was the purpose of this revenge? And Adam, this is your Uh good pick, so um, tell us all about the feel-good movie of (laughs) the 2010s.
0: I mean, this movie is fucking brutal, dude. It, it, it's one of those movies. Like I saw one, eh, probably not when it first came out, but once it started getting uh, notoriety and then uh, I'd only seen it that one time. Now, obviously again for this show. And it's one of those that I, it's so good, but I don't think I, I I'll watch this one again. Uh, it is so brutal and just sad and terrifying. It goes to a lot of weird places, man. Like the cannibalism place with the, the other serial killer couple, and the fucking Achilles tendon bit. And just, I mean, there's some so much crazy gore and just violence in this movie. And yet, at its heart, it's just about a guy who's lost everything, who doesn't know what else to do but just take out his revenge on this guy because of what he did to him. And the, even the way the movie ends with him sort of walking away and just bawling and finally feeling that release. It's heartbreaking but it's so good and that's the one thing I can say about this movie too our two leads act the fuck out of this movie they're both excellent and uh, it's just yeah this is one of those movies to me where it works on almost every level but I don't it's so fucking dark that's one that I, I don't uh, know how often I revisit
1: yeah I mean I'm in the similar boat where I saw it around the time it was popular. Um, kind of like getting that cult appreciation like, oh my, God, I saw the devil, it's pretty great you guys see I saw the devil and I remember at the time even, I was like, wow this is fucking brutal, and I don't know if I want to watch it again and I haven't, until now for this particular show, and it's definitely one of those where I love this movie I think it's a phenomenal movie that really deconstructs the idea of revenge and what that means uh, but it, it's definitely one of those where I'll probably watch it again, but I'll take probably another ten year break <laughs> Like, I'll I'll wait until uh, 2030 or so to revisit this, basically, because it takes a lot out of you, despite the fact that there's a lot of, like, really well-constructed set pieces. There's some, like, phenomenal action bits in this movie. It has, like, so much of, like, those kind of thrills of, like, an action movie or a horror movie, but also it has this, like, cloud over it. Just about, like, yeah, this is all, like, very, like, well done, and it's kind of, like, brutal, and it's entertaining to some degree to watch, but then when you remember, like, oh, wait, yeah, people have just died, and it's, like, fucking brutal, and has no mercy whatsoever for, like, your <laughs> sensibilities, it's just, like, it's uh, it's really bleak in a way that still is, like, it's bleak with good reason, I supposed to say, like, a wanted which was bleak, but in a way, it's like, we're fucking cool. This movie's not like that. Like, no, this isn't fucking cool, dude. There's cool bits to this, but uh, there's not a lot of fun to be had. And the movie knows very well. man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're not showing this to you like a fucking slick everything. There's nothing slick about this movie as far as its setting or what's happening in it. I mean, the violence is so fucking brutal. Like I I alluded to, you know, at the top of the show, the pipe wrench to that one dude's balls is, I mean, it's so fucking brutal. And that's the one thing about this movie and, and other movies, you know, from sort of South Korea, that the, which I find really kind of do it the best. Uh, it's not done to be artistic. It's not. It's just brutal in your face violence, like old boy. And, 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 you know, any of those The the. The the trilogy,
1: the vengeance trilogy. You mean. Yeah, yeah, the vengeance the director. Yeah, it's right.
0: so brutally violent, and it's so just matter of factly done in your face. It doesn't make it sexy or exciting or anything like that. It's just look what these, what this bodily harm is being done to these people, and here it is on all of its horrific brutality. Here you go. You're gonna watch it.
1: I think the movie does kind of play with some of those elements. Like there's the face-off scene that takes place in like that sort of greenhouse area between our two leads. That the setup of it almost feels like it's like a Western showdown where they're like looking down at each other and there's a bit of like that, oh, yes, this looks kind of fucking cool, raising Isn't that kind of interesting? But then the violence happens and it's like, oh, no, this isn't cool. This is bad. Why are we seeing this? Oh, good God, no. Oh, ooh <laughs> Jesus, no. Like, it's a movie that I think knows that you could, in theory, treat this like there's a version of this movie that totally glorifies the violence and Revenge. And it's, like, a more, like, sort of traditionally enjoyable movie. But this is a movie that, like, knows that that can be enjoyable but realizes, like, even no matter what temptation you have to enjoy this, uh, you can't. Because it's fucking upsetting.
0: The only time where it really gets, like, okay, what are we doing here for me is when it gets to the the sort of couple. The um, this cannibal serial killer couple. That's the only time where I'm like, this is kind of silly but it's still it's so gross and brutal and and just you know uh, oh god and also what happens to the male when once our hero catches up to him in fucking the hospital it's yes. so fucking brutal and violent but it, like i said that's the only part for me where it goes almost into like fantasy land uh because the rest of it is just so brutal and realistic and on earth but then there's just like It almost they allude to where it's this group, probably of serial killers, are all like-minded people, and it just feels like it comes out of nowhere.
1: Well, I think that element. Also, kind of works in a similar way to like what I'm talking about with like the sort of action setups that could eventually go to violence. Like it almost feels like it's a commentary on like even like the sort of horror movies where it's like, oh, we have like these people that like eat people and stuff. It almost feels like it's a commentary on like a Hannibal Lecter type, where it's like in those other movies, like Hannibal Lecter is treated as like this intellectual who eats, and it's like kind of this twist on like, oh, he's so intellectual, but he eats at the same time. There's such a fascinating dual identity this character versus this guy's a fucking schlub. Like, he's, like, this dude who, like, overeats on human flesh. And it's just like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm doing this to have, like, some fucking fun. You're fucking things up by even being here, man. Like, we live this solitude life, and we're, like, having our fucking, you know, cool thing here, and you're just fucking things up. And, like, he's treated us like this oafish asshole who does horrible fucking things. Like, I think it's a movie that really wants to deconstruct a lot of the, like, kind of romanticism of serial killers and, like, what we have ultimately kind of built them up to be versus what they actually are, which is oftentimes just, like, totally antisocial asshole people. Like, even, I love the fact that anytime you might see some kind of humanity to the um, Jean character, the actual main serial killer, he is, like, a whiny asshole in a way that, like, you know, unlike Wanted, they totally frame him as, like, this guy's a dick. Like, anytime you, like, encounters people who are just like, oh, you fucking elders, you think that you're supposed to be appreciable, fuck you, you're treating me like a piece of shit, you can go fuck yourself. Like, that guy is trying to kind of help you and you're being addicted. <laughs> like, you're ruining any of your chances of being in fucking help because you're such an immature, monstrous person that you don't even have basic empathy for anybody. But yeah, I think the movie very much knows that, you know, these serial killer types, like, that would be treated like charming folks with intelligence or whatever like these guys are assholes and they constantly show off the fact that like they are like immature monstrous boys that are pretending to be men and they think being a man means horribly murdering people and getting away with it
0: i mean yeah that's definitely true uh especially our, our sort of main serial killer he's a whiny whiny punk like he's like he's a horrible horrible human being but i love that you know why you know, God's like, why are you doing this? What the fuck? you're a crazy man, and like, well, you're the, the absolute psychopath. Like, the one that right. I can specifically think of is like, after he gets his Achilles tendon, wake up, he wakes up in the car, and he's basically, which granted, I probably would be too, most people would, but he's basically crying like a little child. And when he's coming out of the car and stuff, it's just he's a horrible, horrible man child, and I, I guess, yeah, the other. The other two would be too.
1: But I mean, it's a real testament to like Choi Min seek the like who most people know. You, you spoke about Old Boy earlier. He is the main character of Old Boy, uh-huh. and he's such a phenomenal actor, and especially being able to portray so much of this with a conviction. That makes him seem like, oh, no, I know exactly that I'm the only victim in this scenario. Like, my parents are assholes. I don't give a shit about the kid that I abandoned. Um, But also, anybody who, like, tries to cross me is totally against me. I am the only victim in the situation. In a way that's, like, unsettling. But also is, like, really fascinating to watch him just, like, work his mind through. Particularly when he's, like, in that hospital. And he's just, like, being so... Oafishly monstrous to everyone around him who's trying to help him to some degree. Just like, nope, I want to take advantage of the situation and I want to be the most monstrous person possible. He's antisocial in a way that feels realistic, but also like is heightened to this degree in this movie that makes it unsettling to watch.
0: He's so en- enigmatic and, and even to the point to, you know, at the end when he's got him sort of chained up or whatever, just the look in his eyes, it's almost chilling because it's like this guy doesn't give. A oh, fuck, dude, until that final moment when, obviously, who shows up, shows up.
1: By contrast, with the the Kim character, who we should mention, Lee Byung-Hung, most of you would probably know is, he was Storm Shadow in the American uh, G.I. Joe movies, mm-hmm. among several other things. He's probably like in Terminator all some other stuff, but he has this, like, great thing where, like, he looks like like a matinee idol he's like so handsome and immediately the moment you see him like initially you're like okay this guy's gonna be our hero clearly and he's gonna work so well but like as you see him completely degree himself and get to like the level of the guy he's chasing it's genuinely believable like oh my god this guy who had it all and like got it taken away from him has completely lost any kind of humanity and empathy at the same time himself like, the way that even when he goes over to, like, the parents and the kid of the the main serial killer character, he has less, like, empathy for these people and more just like, God damn it, this is, like, a dead end and it's not going to help me out. Like, he's becoming less and less empathetic as a person until, like, that ending moment happens where he just realizes, like, I've just gone down such a dark, terrible path that has, like, completely destroyed me as a human person. Like, I don't think this dude's going to have much of a fun life after this point. I don't think there's gonna be a lot of fun times after this.
0: Uh I don't know, man. He seems
1: like it's uh probably gonna go
0: go see a show after this.
1: It'd be really funny if he like skipped his way down that road like ah, Yeah,
0: hundred yeah, <laughs> percent. Claps his two heels together in the air like woohoo <laughs> stops and starts playing jacks. <laughs> but uh yeah, I no, his life is over, dude. His life is destroyed, it's ruined. For good reason it's he became the, the monster he was trying to sort of you know kill it's I and mean, i mean obviously he did kill him but it just the, these extremes that he went to they got all you know people he cared about killed and people which again brutal the dumbbell scene oh jesus yes but then he got all these other people killed and all this stuff and but it's over it's finally over so what does that mean for him? I mean, yeah, it's just, it's such a great moment.
1: A big shout out to, like, to contrast with Once as well. I love the way this movie looks. Oh, it's Like, cute. this could be, in theory, like, this could look like some Saw bullshit, where it's, like, very green overlay and, like, all oh, disgusting. But even, despite how many horrible things happen in, like, that layer, our main serial killer character is in, it's, like, so weirdly vibrant with different colors. Like, even, like, the filth is, like, presented in, like, this weird kind of, like, Um, Almost like the way that, you know, oil when it mixes with water has like that weird kind of like multicolor effect. It looks like that. It looks like a dingy place that's like has color to it, but in a way that's like haunted in a way that feels like this is like a place I shouldn't be, but not in the way of like, oh, it's dingy in like a seven saw esque way. It's like, no, this is a place that has vibrancy and color to it, but it's all tainted. It's all ugly and disgusting. Which is even the way that, like, he shoots, like, some of these victims' bodies. Like, the way, like, the main, the fiancé character, how she's horribly mutilated. Like, they emphasize, like, oh, look well, here are the body parts that are here. But it, it's treated at the same time, like, there's a color and vibrancy even to, like, the, those body parts. But it's all, like, it's decayed. It's disgusting. It's so, it's vibrant, but in a way that's, like, haunted.
0: Like I was alluding to earlier, with the gore, the violence, and everything, it, it's done so matter-of-factly. But it's handled with the utmost sort of care and also respect of what they're showing you and what they're putting you through. It's never not chilling. I can say that for sure. And the fact of the matter is once the you know she even reveals that she was pregnant mm-hmm. and sort of the way he looks at her and it's almost like he gets even more pleasure out of that fact. Yeah because uh, you know he definitely gets pleasure out of telling him what a horrible, horrific scene. I mean, Cuts her limbs off, cuts her head. It just, it's awful. Awful.
1: And spread sunshine all over the place. It really just gets you down in, like, such a depressing... I think that's the thing, is, like, there are so many movies like this where I really love the filmmaking. I love the way that it's put together, but also I could just never really recommend to people even like it's, it's such a weird movie to recommend to somebody where you're just like look this movie's fucking great but asterisk um it is brutal it's violence gonna take you to very dark places in humanity um but i won't say that i don't think you'll at least respect what it's doing like there are so, so many movies like that where it definitely gets put on that list with like requiem for a dream and like some others where it's just like <sighs> this is a very well-made movie but i don't know if i can in good conscience recommend it to somebody without a massive list of caveats.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I put, I put this like regular regime, the road, things like that. Like, it's really fucking good, man. But uh, <laughs> what what are your triggers? Because there's a good chance right. there might this be It's definitely some of that one that deserves
1: yeah. an actual trigger warning.
0: Yeah, people. a thousand percent. Like I said, this is not one that I'm necessarily going to visit again anytime soon. I mean, maybe even if ever. Um, but it's one that I like in that same conversation where you talk about, you know, Oh, the movies that, you know, I could never watch again or whatever. This one's at the tippy top for a couple of reasons. One is because mm-hmm. of its graphic material and everything, but also how well it's done and how good of a movie it actually truly is. Like, I don't know if reckoning for Gene would even hold up nowadays. I have no idea. I haven't gone back to it, mm-hmm. but like this, the road, things like that, they're just so expertly done and, and they're so, so good. It's basically almost a masterpiece of this type of filmmaking and this type of storytelling. It, it is, you want to talk about a revenge movie. Well, here you fucking go in several different ways. Not only is it the sort of agent getting revenge on the serial killer, but then it's also a serial killer going to try to get revenge on the agent. And it's just this really brutal
1: cat and mouse. Yeah. The the, weird, the cycles of revenge that just end up destroying rather than actually giving either of them fulfillment to any degree. And I think, like, that really can only come from, like, South Korea, because this is one of those movies that, like, it was rumored they were going to do an American remake for a while, with, like, Adam Wingard and his screenwriting partner, Simon Barrett, were going to do it for a while, and um, they said that ultimately they didn't do it because, like, they wanted to stay true to the gory sensibilities of the movie, but the American Institute was shocking they wanted to make it PG-13. So, like, no, let's probably not do that, and it kind of, like, died and hasn't happened yet, and I'm really glad, just because, like, if you're gonna do a revenge movie that's anywhere close to this, like, the only way you can somewhat justify it is to show you the true brutality of what's going on. You can have some, like, you know, enjoyable sort of, like, filmmaking stuff, like, with some of the action, means like, I love that car chase that happens, With, like, where he picks him up, like, in the middle of, like, him attempting to, like, give himself over to the police. Like, it's so well shot. Or even, like, the big finale with tension that's there is, like, so palpable and brutal. With, like, the guillotine and all that stuff. But at the same time, like, if you're gonna do a revenge movie like this, like, you have to really emphasize it, like, this is brutal, this is harsh, this takes so much out of you. And, like, so many of these revenge movies, like we talked about, have it, like, but at what cost kind of thing and sometimes it feels like it's like a last minute thing just to justify being brutal and embracing the fun of it as opposed to this movie is like no this is the natural way this is going this has been throughout the whole like two hours and 25 minutes of this movie it is fully in that mode of like this has like there's some skill to this filmmaking but it's all in the really just show off the true brutality and how little that really ultimately advances like whatever pain you're feeling element of it because you ignore people like the way that his fiance's sister and father how he just totally ignores them and they're pleased like please come back we just want you to like we're grieving but we want you to like be a part of our family still we love you as a person don't go down like whatever path you're thinking of going down and that costs him everything
0: i mean absolutely everything yeah they are very much don't go down that route um,
1: <laughs> Look, I would definitely do it if it was fucking Fred Gwynn telling me. I, yeah, I'd trust Fred said. Gwynn to do anything.
0: Yeah, he he loses absolutely everything because of his sort of obsession with revenge. And I mean, but that's one thing too. I, I do want to talk about just the the uniqueness of the idea itself too. Where he so he hunts down this guy, finally finds him, beats the living shit out of him, breaks his arm, just fucks him up. And then it plants a tracker on him so he can just follow him around and when he's about to do something bad, just show up again and beat the fuck out of him again and just torture and maim and wound this guy. And, it, you know, in a way, you get it. You're like, yeah, man, it makes sense. You with your fucking love of your life and all this stuff. But at the same time, it's like it's so brutal and animalistic and savage where it's just so unique, though, too, to the genre. I mean, I've never seen before or since that something like that happen and it's just so well done
1: yeah it feels like a movie where once again it takes that kind of like the genre set ups and it's just like yeah isn't that satisfying in the moment but then really lingers with that just like no it really isn't satisfying because uh, the repercussions come back and it really hurts you and everybody else and that's like I said I don't think an American film would really be willing to do no. I don't think any American film would like really be willing to like Ask those questions and really answer them in the most brutal, frank way possible. Just be like, "Well, do we guys revenge and everything's sunny side up? It's all right. good. All good now. Yeah, I agree. um Yeah, and it makes me really want, because I think this is the first South Korean movie we've ever covered for the show. uh
0: I believe that's true. Yeah, I believe that's the case.
1: Yeah. Because oh, I don't think we've ever really covered another South Korean movie. And I really, like, because they make some of the most amazing, like, cinema Absolutely. out there. That's so stellar. And definitely it's, like, one of those things that, if you have that barometer about, like, oh, I want to read subtitles, uh, South Korean films will immediately break you of that. Because it's like, no, I want to read the subtitles and watch these great fucking movies. Which,
0: by the way, too, you have to watch it with the subtitles. There is an English dub out there, and it's terrible.
1: I've heard it's very bad. i watched it with the subtitles for sure when I watched it. But I've heard that dub is uh, pretty bad. Um, but let's go ahead and do our uh, our final thoughts here on Ice of the Devil. Adam.
0: Uh, like I said, it's absolutely brutal. It's so graphic and gory and just at the same time thrilling and exciting. And also just it, it makes you question sort of like if you were in this position, what would you do? And, you know, things like that. And it's just... But it's the acting. I cannot say enough, and I can't even overstate it either. If I tried, how good our two leads are, uh, both uh, when they're on screen together and when they're not. I mean, it's just it works so well in every every level. It, it's just
1: great. Yeah, I pretty much second all of that. Um, and I'll just emphasize uh, not a fun movie, but a really crucial one. If like, if you can, you know, really stomach a lot of like horrible stuff. Like we even mentioned like the sexual assault stuff that happens with that one nurse. character. That's really upsetting. Like it, it goes down some dark roads, but I think with good reason, because this is definitely a movie that like it goes down these horrible paths. And so many times people do that when filmmakers do that, it's very exploitative and shitty as opposed to, uh, this is a movie that knows the weight of all those horrible things that are happening. It's just like, look, we're going to, we're going to emphasize like, this is terrible. And you're going to like really live in this horrific place with this, but we have a reasoning for it. And it's a wonderfully realized reasoning. It's really phenomenally put together by the filmmakers and the cast and everybody. But yeah, not a movie um, I want to pop on when I'm in a bad mood. It's just like, hmm, I'm feeling bad about the world. Let's put on I Saw the Devil. Let's enjoy a bit of that. No, not a pick me up movie for sure, but it, a very enjoyable movie to at least see once. I agree, especially if you're a genre fan. But um let's go ahead and go into our weekly segment, Adam. The double redo. Double redo. Double redo. Double redo. Double
0: redo. Double redo. Double, double, re-do.
1: double, double,
0: double. Redo. Redo. That
1: works. So every week on the Double Redo, Adam and I, uh, you know, talk about a good and a bad movie, really, into the topic that we're covering for the particular episode, just to you know direct you toward a good one to see and uh, away from a bad one not to bother with. And uh, I'm going first here uh, with revenge films uh, for to recommend and stuff. And uh, I'll go ahead and start with uh, my good pick, which is another movie that I think is kind of deconstructing what a revenge movie is, but with an, a lot more of like a quiet contemplative level i have blue ruin uh which is uh, directed by uh, jeremy saulnier uh, who also did stuff like green room i think a tremendous uh director in his own right but uh, basically this is a movie uh that follows um one of uh, his frequent collaborators Makem blair who's also a producer on this film um and basically he plays this guy named dwight who um, has been a vagrant for most of his life. He's been walking around uh, because he's never quite gotten over the murder of his parents that happened when he was young. And um, he's just kind of like been wandering and has lost contact with like his sister and various other people in his life. Uh, but here's about the release of the person who was convicted of his parents' murder. And this isn't a spoiler, really, because this happens in the first, like, 15, 20 minutes of this movie. Uh, he brutally kills that guy in a really awkward fashion because he's, you know, a vagrant who has no training or whatever. So, any t- like, anytime he tries to take violent revenge, it's, like, a really awkward, horrific process that he, like, is so slow and uncomfortable to watch but he finds out that guy didn't actually kill his parents and so he's on the journey to find out who actually did do that and i think this is a tremendous quiet contemplative movie and uh the same way as like a green room or hold the dark uh, which is another movie that, that jeremy solnier made and um it's a really fascinating story about the idea of like you know that kind of revenge plot where it's just like oh somebody wronged me in the past i have to take my vengeance but like, in actual reality, if you were to do that, it would be such a, like, stumbling, awkward process that would not really, like, work out for you in the long run. It's a movie that kind of covers the similar repercussions of Ice of the Devil, but without any of the remote gloss that's there in some of those movies. It's brutal, but in a way that's also, like, so, like, kind of awkward. Almost verges on the idea of like like a kind of awkward dark comedy, but it's so much more about like no dude, uh, if you're gonna seek your vengeance, uh, it's not gonna be a happy time for you. It's not gonna you're gonna really alienate people around you as well. But without even the gloss of like yeah, I'm a badass taking my revenge. No, there's nothing badass about this guy. He's sad. He's like completely lonely and shut off from people. It's it's a great sort of character focused story about like what a revenge tale actually takes on people. Um, but then my bad one is more of, like, a traditional, like, slasher horror movie version of this, where I have the original Prom Night, which I remember had, like, kind of this claim around it to some degree, like, I remember this was one of the ones that's often cited, like, post-Halloween, like, all the big ones because Jamie Lee Curtis is in it, and uh, this one is basically, it's a revenge tale from the perspective of the serial killer, because it's about like a kid who got bullied and like several years later he's trying to seek revenge on modern kids who are at the high school going to prom and the only notable things really about this movie are that it came out right after Halloween so Jamie Lee Curtis is in it and also Lizzie Nielsen plays the principal Uh, but otherwise it is a very traditional slasher that isn't even, like, that well put together, it's a very, like, low-budget Canadian movie that just kind of shows that, like, oh, yeah, a lot of those movies that came in the wake of Halloween were done very cheaply and very quickly put together, and not all of them are fun. Not all of them are, like, an interesting or engaging to any degree. Um, It's, like, a very typical dull early 80s slasher that uh, I think is highly overrated and didn't even deserve to have, like, its remakes or whatever. However... It does have some fun sequels that aren't really related to a particularly prom night. 2, hello, Mary Lou is a very fun supernatural slasher, but the original prom night not very fun, not very good.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as prom night goes, I completely agree. Uh, I remember being one of those who would like, a, you know, it was considered quintessential watching. You had to see it if you were in the horror fan and or especially slasher genre and things like that. So I s- sought it out pretty early, and even then, remember thinking well, this is, isn't very good at all. <laughs> and then I watched it again, uh, probably right around when the remake uh, came out, and uh, still is good. Like, maybe one or two cool kill scenes, and, and that's about it. It, it. it just doesn't work. Um, and as far as Blue Ruin goes, I haven't seen that one. Uh, I've heard good things about it, uh, obviously from you just now, and also – uh, you know, other people have seen it. It's just, it sounds like it's super heavy. It's one of those, I, I, I feel like I get to have, be ready to have my night sort of tainted, if not ruined. So I just- A blue I, ruined, if you will. Yeah, 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 pretty much. So I haven't gone to that one yet, but I, I definitely want to see it.
1: Well, Adam, what are your choices?
0: Uh, my two choices, I'll start with the bad. Uh, my bad choice is a movie called The Assignment. Uh, it's made by the guy who did The Warriors and-, and Things like that. It stars Michelle Rodriguez, Sigourney Weaver, and the basic plot is Michelle Rodriguez starts off the movie as playing a male character. He's a hitman, and he kills the wrong person. Sigourney Weaver plays a doctor who then drugs him and performs a sex change on him, and so now it's Michelle Rodriguez. And it's sort of the story of her coming to terms with, you know, her new identity, but also seeking revenge on the doctor and blah, 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 blah. And it's just so piss poorly handled in every way, um, from the way it shot to the action. But it's like, do you remember how you and I spoke and you did not like the director's cut version of the Warriors with all the animated stuff in in it and all that? Right. Uh, Well, you wouldn't like this movie either, because it's got that in it. And uh, it's, it's just really bad. You talk, want to talk again about narration over a movie, and this is some of the worst I've ever heard. It, it's just lousy, and especially for the stories trying to tell. It, 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 it's just it, it's very insensitive. Let's put it that way. Uh, and then for my good, uh, another movie uh, that you and I have talked about, uh, not on the show. Uh, it's one that you saw that was one of your favorites of the year. It came out. I finally got to see it. And I absolutely loved it and still do. I think the performances in it are amazing. And it's funny, but brutally sad and depressing at the same time. I have Promising Young Woman. Uh, Would fall sort of into the rape revenge uh, sort of subgenre, just with sort of why she's trying to hurt these people. Um, But you don't see any of that. Like, it doesn't show you any of it. Uh, which is fine. You just hear an audio clip of it, and you basically don't even hear what's going on except for guys laughing and talking. Uh, But the ultimate, like, reveal of what happens with her love interest is so heartbreaking when it happens uh, for her. Really dark, bleak comedy. Um, It's just, it's so well done. What a great, great movie that is uh, criminally underseen.
1: Yeah, um, I have not seen The Assignment. Um, It's a bummer because I love Walter Hill. Yeah. And that's one of those where, like, I, I want to see more of his movies, but that's definitely one of the more recent ones where it's like, oh, that premise doesn't sound great. Um, even at the time it came out, it probably, w- it was insensitive and has probably aged like a fine milk once again <laughs> in that regard. So um, I don't know if I'll, um, unless I'm really completionist about it, um, I don't think I'll be pursuing that. And then Promising Young Woman is definitely one of those where it got a lot of hype because it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars and won Best Original Screenplay uh, for Emerald Fennell, who also directed it. And that's such a fascinating movie where I really loved it when I first watched it. And I still, I think that movie's pretty great. But at the same time, it had such a fascinating reception that was all over the map. That was definitely one of those movies where, especially from people who were victims of sexual assault, like, I heard some people who loved it, some who loathed it. It's a fascinating sort of Rorschach test of a movie that I would be curious nothing else to hear, like, various people's opinions on, because it's one of those where, like, it really affects people in various different ways. Like Carrie Mulligan as the lead like regardless of what you might think of that movie she's so stellar at, just at the turn of that movie but a bunch of other great people in, like Bo Burnham Laverne Cox um Clancy Brown uh, also um it's just like there's a there's a lot of like great people in the movie doing really great work, and I think it's a movie that definitely questions a lot of what its protagonist is doing, while at the same time embracing the fact that there's a lot of tragedy you can empathize with that character about. It's a tough balancing act that movie's trying to pull off, and for some people it works, some people it doesn't. But I think that's that's what is the mark of at least a very interesting movie is like one that has like so many diverse reactions. Um. So yeah, definitely I would second a recommendation though with the caveat that like. It's kind of divisive, but I'd be fascinated to hear people discover it and hear what they think. But yeah, let's go ahead and just repeat our titles real quick here for uh, the Double Redue. Uh, once again, my choices, uh, my good one was Blue Ruin, and my bad one was the original Prom Night from 1980.
0: Uh, my good one? was Promising Young Woman, and my bad is the assignment.
1: And um, definitely uh, submit your own uh, double redo choices to us, and some of the, the socials and stuff we'll detail as we go along here. And stay tuned for our picking for next week's episode, the very end of this one. But uh, first, we want to thank some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. I'll uh, follow him at Night of Water. That's Night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, for all his great stuff. And uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com DEDB pod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to vote in polls for topics and individual movies we cover. And also, you get to um, listen to bonus podcasts. We put out for people like, for example, uh, around this time, we'll be potentially having out our uh, On the Edge of Relevance, where we cover modern movies about Prey, which have re- would have recently come out. Um, and we have probably a lot of thoughts to say about that new entry in the Predator franchise. And uh, around the end of the month, we'll be having our little bonus monthly podcast that we'll be talking about the 25th anniversary taping of the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yes, yeah, so and we'll, we'll talk all about that. And you just have to pay that $1 in order to become a patron and listen to that and vote in polls and stuff. But uh, for more of us, uh, find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, uh, where you can submit feedback to us there. Or at our um, own uh, email address, double bill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And, uh, for more of me, uh, find me over on Twitter and letterboxes that not the who's Tommy, and i also do some writing at marianitomas.wordpress.com and at film-cred.com.
0: And if you're on Letterboxd, you can find me on there at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N.
1: And to hear more of our antics, uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, uh, go ahead and uh, listen to all the other great shows besides ours. But definitely, if you want to hear oh, like nearly like 200 episodes before we join Talk Film Society, uh, find our Podbean main feed. For so many episodes, and uh, nothing else. If you don't aren't able to support us on the Patreon, that's totally cool. The completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around, and gets us more visibility out there in the internet algorithms. Super easy to
0: do. Don't make us come looking for you.
1: <laughs> I, I will not seek any revenge on people if you don't be- <laughs> share stuff. It's cool. I I'm
0: not doing that. Absolutely will.
1: <laughs> no. Uh, the views of Adam Thomas once again to non-express was a double-edged double bill y'all motherfuckers are dead well Adam before you get us sued it's time that we do our picking for next week's episode where every week uh, Adam and I switch up on the quality of good or bad picks uh, for a particular episode, and we usually assign them a number between 1 and 10, though sometimes our patrons pick some choices, as we'll detail about next week's episode for that. But keep in mind, uh, we assign them between 1 and 10 for those choices, and the other person, you know, says, you know, uh, I'm going to pick number 6, and we're like, oh, that's closest to number 7, that's what usually gets us our good and our bad pick. But keep in mind, there's the Godfather rule, where Adam and I each have a single veto in our back pocket to uh, use at some point we have to use it before next May. And if we hear, like, oh, that number seven is close to number eight, which is this choice, and we're like, I don't want to cover that choice, we can say, actually, I'll take the cannoli. Unless that choice is gone, we have to go with whatever other choice is there. Though that veto is completely exempt from Patreon picks, because you patrons uh, voted in a poll for our bad pick for our next episode, Movies About Movies, a topic we've wanted to do for quite a while. And uh, Adam had the two bad choices, and you voted on in patrons, and we end up getting bowfinger which isn't traditionally considered a bad choice by a lot of people but adam is not a fan i'm not a fan whatsoever at all right you'll get to hear all about that next time but he can use his veto for my two good choices if he so pleases so adam for my two good choices please pick a number between one and ten
0: uh let's just go number
1: two okay This will be very interesting if Adam decides not to veto it, because uh, this would be the first documentary we've ever covered on the show. And it's a documentary that I hold very close to my heart. I think it's a very great documentary about a pretty bad movie. Over at number three, I have Best Worst Movie.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, that's solid. Um, I really, really like that documentary as well. Uh, not whatever I would have imagined you to pick, but yeah, no, I'm not going to veto that. that. That's awesome.
1: All right. Well, at number nine, I had a movie that I also think is pretty awesome, a very sort of metacontextual, weird uh, take on the movies about movies sort of topic. I have Adaptation. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Rousing endorsement from that. Yeah. <laughs> You're glad you didn't take the cannoli on that, night, I assume. I, yeah, I am. I don't hate adaptation, but
0: it's just, uh, it's all right.
1: Okay, well, we'll be talking about Bowfinger and Best Worst Movie next time for our Movies About Movies episode. That means it's the end of the show, Adam, and until next time, we just want to encourage everybody out there, uh, don't seek your revenge, because I don't think it's going to really result in much of anything except you crying.
0: Or you'll be incredibly happy.
1: You know, roll the dice, see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Could be happy tears.